We are starting in five, four, three, two, one. Broadcast starting. Good job. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? Name's Ash. Housewares. Wayne, you going to win on this? Oh, there's nothing better than a fart. What's up, kids falling off bikes, maybe? I could watch kids fall off bikes all day. I don't give it to magic kids. It's called Pilot Radio. But, Peter, why would they make you president? Well, maybe it's because I can recite all 50 states in a quarter of a second. This is called Pilot Radio. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns uh. are for jerks. <laughs> this is called Pilot Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this is the Great Geek Refuge. You are listening to our podcast. It is GGR Pirate Radio. We are back, guys. We had a little bit of a hiatus for the holidays. Everybody's fat and sassy, full of turkey and gravy and all those other delicious things, but we're back here to talk about one of our favorite topics, and that is geeky, nerdy news. And who do I have with me? Three of my favorite people in the whole wide world. We've got my co-host and the co-creator of GGR. His name is Steve Monick. All of those terms you used to describe us could have been applied to me before we Thanksgiving. <laughs> Especially the full of gravy part. Steve Monick full of gravy. Well, that's going to be your next title in one of your articles, is Steve Monick full of gravy. Um, also joining me is GGR contributor and host of his own show, The Overflow. His name is MC Brooks. Yo. We've also got, courtesy of Fantastic Forum and WERA, his name is Ulysses E. Campbell. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So let's go ahead and let's jump right into this, guys. Let's hit that theme music for the Geek Sheets, and then, Steve, you can start us off, buddy. It's time for the Geek Sheets. Here's the big news this week in the geeky, nerdy world. It's time for the Geek Sheets. Here's Steve Monick. Yeah, we should use that. We should use that going forward. <laughs> We're not. What? <laughs> we, should, we should use exactly that sound going forward. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just me. Stop. Breaking geeky news. <laughs> you need to stop bothering making all these awesome, sophisticated sound bites and just do that. <laughs> Simple is best, right? Yeah. So what do you want to do? You just want to go top to bottom? Uh, bring it on, Steve. Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Yeah, let's talk a little Star Wars. So um, there's two shows now. We, we talked about The Mandalorian, and we'll get to a little bit about that in a minute. But fan favorite, I don't know if that's true, but I'm saying it, um, <laughs> the character Cassian Andor from Rogue One. I'm sure everyone remembers exactly who that is. Um, he is getting his own show. And I was very proud of myself for the line I came up with where I said, it's obviously a prequel because at the end of Rogue One, he's a scarecrow <laughs> on the sands of Scarab's I did, I did like that, oh, too. That was pretty good, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that that's the route they're going yeah. when you have so much. And I'm not even saying you have to do anything related to the books. But, I mean, like you're doing this Mandalorian, which is a couple years after Jedi. Like, why aren't you doing something like well before episode one or something there's so much untapped territory and i feel like rogue one i don't want to say it was mixed review because i think it was generally positively reviewed but the biggest knock i heard consistently from people on the internet and friends of mine was that great movie the characterization wasn't all there and to pluck a character out of that particular movie to base an entire series around was a very interesting call to me 
I'm excited for it. I'm hoping this fixes that exact problem where it's like, yeah, he's had a tough go of it, so he joined the rebellion and then he blew up. Like that was his character arc, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, hopefully the show fixes that exact problem. You're like, who is this guy? Okay, you watch the whole show, then when you watch Rogue One, it has more depth and more flavor to it. So. I thought it was interesting. I will say this, Steve. Um, your line about Cassian Andor being a, a smear on the sands of Scarif was nice, but I really think that the biggest thing that you need to take credit for is you need to email whoever is running the Disney streaming service and tell them instead of Disney Plus that it should be called Mouse Flicks because I think that that was, that was the winner of this article, personally. Um, I, was talking to, I was talking to Ulysses uh, earlier about, um, about this, and I think that this entire series concept was based on one line from Rogue One because he's talking to um, he's talking to Jin Urso and he says to her I've done a lot of shady things in my past and you see it at one point when he kills that dude with the broken arm when he's like I can't follow you I can't follow you so he just blows him away I think that that line right there is what that whole series is going to be based on because you, I wouldn't say dark side to the, the Rebellion, but you get to see that the Rebellion is not just, you know, Ewoks and Wookiees and, and other cute little Muppets and stuff like that. Like, there's some... They gotta do some some nasty stuff to, to overthrow the Empire. Like, it's not gonna just be sunshine and rainbows and singing nub-nub at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Mike, yeah. the Ewoks were eating people. This is true. Make no, make no mistake. <laughs> the reason they had a dress that fit Leah was they had eaten a woman who was about that size. <laughs> there, was, there was another lady that came to the planet earlier. She was delicious. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the first time that they were cooking, folks. It was, <laughs> that was Tuesday, man. Oh, man. They have like some setup with like the uh, with like the tourism board where they just have people coming there. Like, is oh, it's this nice uh, forest moon and and there's and and it's quiet and peaceful and oh, look at the cute little teddy bears. Oh, he's nibbling. Oh, isn't that cute? He's nibbling on my finger. Oh God. Oh God. And then now they have an extra dress. So, fortunately, the Ewoks weren't part of the rebellion, and I get I get the point you're making yeah. about because the the rebellion is one of those. Uh, things that's romanticized, yeah. you know, because we know we know the Empire is bad. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, good gracious, you got Darth Vader choking out captains of starships and admiral. You know, deliver. The funny thing about this too is, and, and I'll and I'll go to to MC uh, next, and then we'll go to Steve. Um, I, it's interesting because Steve even mentions it in his article. Star Wars is literally just telling us, oh, hey, we're gonna kind of chill with all of our content a little bit, you know, like we're going to, we're going to just pull the throttle back big time. And then they announce another show, but then not only that, there's another animated show that they're working on too. That's going to be, that that's uh, set to release real, real soon here too. Um, and they're working on the Mandalorian and then they're just announcing more casting. So like, I don't, are they really slowing down? They say they are, well, but I don't think they are. There isn't, there isn't the same kind of investment as there is in one of these movies. I mean, you know, but behind the, budget to the movie and the marketing you're talking about easily 300 million dollars yeah. which you know you can do the tv shows and especially the animated shows for a fraction of that and they've had pretty good success with those i mean i personally i think that part of the problem was their expectations were too big i mean you know because by by most standards young han solo uh, would have been a success but because it didn't make a billion dollars. They're like, oh, well, it's a flop, you know? Like, well, wait, damn, didn't the movie make like 500, 600 million dollars or something? I mean, what's, you know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I, I wish I was making a flop movie like that, you know? So, MC, I know that you're not a huge Star Wars fan um, in general, but I mean, like, is this a show that you would watch that you would, that you would, because like, I think that that's kind of a, a great, great lit, litmus test because I'm, I'm a Star Wars junkie. Whatever they throw at me, I'm going to watch it. I don't care. Um, I will make time for a movie. I will make time for a, a TV series just because I love the universe. But is this something that you would be interested in watching? Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I don't really, I don't know too much about this character in particular because I haven't, I haven't seen Rogue One. Um, but I, I mean, I check it whoa, out. Whoa, you haven't seen Rogue One? Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, 
haven't I haven't seen a Star Wars film since uh, Episode Three. Okay, listen, Ro- yeah. Rogue well, One. So- Rogue One is on Netflix. <laughs> Rogue One is good. Yeah, Rogue One is on Netflix. I would say of all of the newer ones, it's the only one. And again, coming from a Star Wars fan, it's the only one that I would recommend to somebody who's not a huge Star Wars fan to watch. So, I mean, take take the two hours to watch Rogue One. If if for anything, just the awesome scene at the end with Darth Vader, like it's 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 worth your time. Yeah, I mean, well, it, I, it, it, I, it, it's like it's like a science fiction war movie. Hey, one thing I want to throw in, I might be wrong about this Han Solo uh, thing. Yeah. I, I'm just looking up the numbers on it. Uh, domestically, it made a little over 200 million, but worldwide, it didn't crack 400. It was like 392 million. So that, that <sighs> yeah, was because the the, well, the, <laughs> Asian, the Asian market does not care about Star Wars. Really? Like, oh, the big the big markets of Japan and China, um, they don't like Star Wars. The they way got their do. own stuff. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, you, yeah. you watch a Fast and the Furious or a uh, or a Transformers. Look, go look up the numbers for those. In, in the Asian markets versus the U.S. domestic market, yeah. and then look at Star Wars numbers. It's staggering how different it wow. is. Wow. Um, so the next the next piece on this one, Steve, is uh, is about the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. And so I felt like just kind of clumping these two together made sense. And there's a little bit of casting news. So um, I remember EK it was and Mike, you weren't MC or you Yuli. Do you either? You guys Game of Thrones guys. Uh, yeah, in fact, I like the books. I like the, I mean, in fact, I tell people all the time, oh, yeah, it's a series of books, you know? It's like the, yeah. you know, the, hook up of the HBO stuff. I mean, even though they're getting ready to close that out, and who knows if he's ever going to finish George R. R. Martin, that is. Who knows if he's ever going to finish the damn books? So, of course, now that you've said that, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the actor, uh, Pedro Pascal, I believe is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. He was also in the new Kingsman, like the sequel to the Kingsman. Um, and he just got Narcos cast. Also. I'm oh, sorry? And Narcos, too. Yes, the, uh, yes. About um, uh, drug dealers in, um, well, Colombia. Now it's Mexico, this latest one. Yeah. But he was yeah. really good in that. So he just got cast, and it's looking like he's going to be the titular Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, and then was it Gina? Is it Carano? Is that how you yeah, pronounce Gina, it? Yeah, Gina Carano. Um, yeah, she is. Uh, she was Angel Dust in in Deadpool, the first Deadpool movie, and she was an ex MMA fighter. So she's like some you know like someone you don't want to mess with, kind of person. So we're thinking like, hey, this whole thing's gonna be, you know, scum and villainy. I think these are the kind of people. You know that, that are good casting choices yeah. for that. Um, I want to give a quick aside, and we'll go back to talking about the Mandalorian a little bit here in just a second. I want to give props to uh, to Steve Monick um, because he is doing a remote broadcast this evening. Um, he is actually at the hospital as we <laughs> Sorry, speak. Sorry, you guys hear elevator noises? Yeah, well, elevator noises and Sorry. like you're moving and stuff like that. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew why that was because Steve is actually very committed to doing this podcast, and he's at the hospital because his uh, your sister-in-law is that correct? Yep, my my wife's sister. Oh, your wife's sister. Okay, yeah, yeah. So your sister-in-law is sister-in-law. yeah is going to be uh, having a baby soon. So they're at the hospital because it might happen tonight. So. Um, and I said, Steve, you don't have to do the episode, man. We can we can figure it out without you. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's cool. I'll just be sitting around. So thank you, Steve, for your commitment to GGR Pirate Radio. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, and I hope the, your sister-in-law is going to be okay, man. Yeah, it's it's going right now. It's a little tough. So any wishes or prayers? Um, you guys right now or anyone listening after the fact couldn't hurt. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the entire time we were talking about football, I was walking my son around in the stroller, getting him to fall asleep. So... Anyone saying you can't podcast, it's too hard. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> See, always, always the constant You're just extremely well organized is what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I just, I think this, this show looks like it's going to be cool. And, and I think that it's, it's, it's a good idea for them to start doing some different things with Star Wars. And we, we saw it with, uh, with Solo. I mean, maybe it didn't get the kind of results that they wanted, but maybe it was just a matter of solo not being um i wouldn't say as good i mean because honestly i just recently saw it it's not bad i i enjoyed it i wouldn't i thought it was pretty good it's not my favorite i mean rogue one is still my favorite of the newer ones but like i think that it's they're they're on the right track here and i think with the mandalorian that's just gonna be fun dude 
and like if it's got the vibe that I hope it does which is kind of like an old west like almost like Clint Eastwood type movie where it's like the man with no name like walks into town but instead of walking into town he walks into like most Eisley like I'm okay with this and I think it'll be it'll be a fun narrative it'll be interesting to see it's a part of the Star Wars universe that we haven't explored yet with the post Return of the Jedi before um, the Force Awakens uh, time frame so this should be it should be a lot of fun and um, I mean I don't know too much about uh, Pedro Pascal just because I haven't watched any of the Game of Thrones stuff yes I know guys I'm, I'm working on it um, but like from uh, everything I know about him because I've seen Narcos and, and he's great in that Gina Carano is just I mean she's an, she's an MMA fighter so that means we'll get to see some cool like arm bars and stuff from her character um, I just think it's going to be a fun show Let's Pedro Pascal for for you, yeah. Mike, is is um he is very committed. I think that's the best way to put it. Like he dives all in on his character. Yeah. And so I think he's the exact kind of guy you want being the lead. Yeah. Like again, not necessarily having to be a Game of Thrones guy, but you would like his character. Yeah. And and I will yeah, I will catch up to it eventually. I'm working on it. It's, you ought to check out some of his other work, though. Yeah. Uh, like I said, because it, it sounded like you've seen um, that uh, uh, the second uh, what uh, Golden Triangle or whatever. Um, you know, with the the I forget the name of the series now. The spy stuff that he's doing. Well, that he did. You know, and uh, but like I said, mainly uh, Narcos because he was on that for a couple of. Uh, couple of years oh, the King, oh Kingsman yeah yeah no yeah right. thank you Kings I couldn't think of it saved my life yeah, no King, but, Kingsman's um, good yeah I enjoyed those yeah well, holy shit guys real quick the Chiefs just released Cream Hunt hey guess who's gonna sign him no doubt no doubt you know yeah um moving on um, to the nerdy things because we'll deal with that other stuff later um Let's talk about what I think is what was a bold casting move, but I think is going to pay off dividends. Steve, go ahead and take it from here. Did anyone of you guys watch Two and a Half Men when it was on? I I, I did. I did. I, I, I was familiar. I with did it. because my grandmother, um, mind you, she was in her nineties when the show was on, but like would watch this show about dick jokes and fart jokes and like just all this filthy content, and she would laugh her ass off. And I, and I was like, all right, you know what, Grandma, if you want to watch this, that's cool. We'll watch it together. So we would watch the show together. And, I mean, it was like lowest hanging fruit jokes, but whatever. It was it, – it's not – I would never call it like wonderful comedy or anything like that. But it was it, – it was it, it was all right. And John Cryer plays the – I guess the best way to describe him is like the beta male, which to steal term from Steve's article, yeah, that, that, that he's just like not the aggressor of anything and so that's I guess if that's how you're familiar with John Cryer then it would make sense that you would be like shocked by this casting but um yeah I mean like I I, I personally think it's great but like what's what was the news Steve here since this is your uh, your baby here oh yeah well I mean it, this is a group effort yeah. we all know that um so yeah John Cryer of two and a half men fame and he's been doing many other things other movies and tv shows for Supergirl he is going to be Lex Luthor and some of the side by side that Mike you put up on the article, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, obviously, like he looks, he he could totally pull the part off. And then when I was doing a little bit of research, I did not know that he played the nephew of Lex Luthor in Superman Four: The Quest yeah. for Peace. Lenny, yeah, Lenny Luthor. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, all right, well that's a fun little, uh, that's a fun little like legacy kind of thing. Um, but I'm more interested because. If he wasn't typecast, like Mike said, like as the beta male, if that wasn't a casting because he's just this kind of nebbish, nerdy, you know, uptight guy. If he was just like, hey, that's the character and I'm going to portray him perfectly. If they can do that same sort of thing for Lex Luthor, where he's domineering, he, he sucks up all the energy when he enters a room. You can always tell like he's 18 steps ahead of everyone else. Like if he can pull that off the page that Lex Luthor is the same way he did with his other character from Two and a Half Men, if that's the kind of actor he is, we have a real shot of seeing an excellent, excellent portrayal of Lex Luthor that, I mean, say what you will about Gene Hackman in the first one, he's fine, but I never bought Kevin Spacey, I definitely did not buy 
whatever they were going for in Batman v Superman with Jesse Eisenberg, <laughs> this is like, this might actually be the most comics accurate version if they do it right, which isn't necessarily new for Supergirl. You know, like a lot of the stuff, they, they seem to be trying to, in the Arrowverse in general, they seem to be trying to be somewhat comic book accurate. You didn't like Kevin Spacey as uh, as Luther? Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> I, I see. I thought he was. I mean, obviously, like you know, uh, current um, issues with Kevin Spacey aside, when he was when he did that, I thought it, like it was just the best parts of that movie were just him chewing the scenery as Lex Luthor. Like I, I thought that he like he really really did a, a great job with that role. But again, too, like it's the movie holistically was not that good. And well, and maybe it's just a thing for me, yeah. but basically anytime I see Kevin Spacey, to me, it's very much like, oh, it's Kevin Spacey doing an X impression. Oh, I got so in this case. It was oh. Kevin Spacey doing a Lex Luthor impression. kind of like Kevin Costner. And I can't. Yeah, there's certain oh, actors, yeah. me personally, obviously, yeah. I just can't separate from them as a whole. Like I, can't, I tried watching House of Cards, couldn't do it. I'm like, there's no way in the world I would ever buy this clown as a politician. And this is all completely, like you said, separate of any of the real world stuff. Yeah. I'm just talking from an acting perspective. I, I just never quite bought it. And there were some roles where I was like, yeah, he's kind of a smarmy D-bag, and now I buy it. Like uh, yeah. the movie 21, where they do the uh, blackjack. The card counting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that one, I'm like, yeah, he's kind of like a smarmy jerk. And that's who he is in the movie, so it matches, and I buy it. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Steve, what was the first thing that you saw Kevin Spacey in? That's a good question. I don't know. Mine was, it was either American Beauty or um, The Usual Suspects. I can't remember which one it was. See, most people got familiar with him through his movie work. Uh, me being a little bit older, I remember back in the day when he was on a show called Wise Guy, uh, starring Ken Wall. He played a character called Mel Prophet. Wise Guy was a show about uh, this guy who was uh, an undercover uh, agent for the Organized Crime Bureau. And uh, they had these story arcs. There were some really great story arcs, uh, but it was the um, mid-80s uh, when this show was on. It was a CBS show. Uh, you might uh, look up some of the stuff. Ken Wall actually ended up being something of a recluse. But um, the second story arc was with this character, Mel Prophet, and his sister, Susan. And I'm trying to remember who played the sister, but uh, uh, Spacey played Mel Prophet. And it was an outstanding characterization. And I've loved the guy's work ever since. And he went on to do movies. And But that start, I mean, it was a frenetic this guy was crazy. He was a drug abuser. He was a um, crime kingpin type, and uh, but really unstable. And uh, it was, Spacey put a great spin on it uh, that I think established him as a character actor and enabled him to move on to where he where he has. But it was that introduction, um, you know. And I, I, I you got to separate like the guy from uh, the reality of him. Um, yeah. Although I do respect the fact that he didn't pretend that stuff didn't happen. I mean, when it came up, he's like, well, I don't really remember, but, you know, it, it sounds likely. <laughs> sounds it like something cool I would have done. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of yeah. a piece of crap. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure his yeah. publicist was like, deny, <laughs> deny, deny. But, you know, to his credit, he. He did not do yeah. that, and it killed his career. Yeah, it really did. But, uh, they were saying that yeah. the most recent movie that he did, um, its box office profits were something like $450. Duh. Well, and yeah. shoot, he was in that uh, the thing about um, the Gettys, and they took him out. Put Christopher Plummer uh, in, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was like, damn. They were so mad they cut him out, and then he put the the patriarch of the Von Trapp family in instead. They were like, Christopher Plummer, are you still working? He was like, I guess, not really. And he's like, come on, we need you to do something. Um, but kind of going back to John Cryer, like, yes. I, I think that he – I really like what the CW universe is doing with their, their casting. 
Like they don't yeah. go the normal route. They don't go the typical like like Tyler Oxteen, I think I don't even know how to pronounce his name correctly. Oh, uh, yeah. oh Tyler Hoechlin. Yeah. Hawkland. Hawkland, yeah. Okay. Hawkland, yeah. The guy who plays Superman. Like you would not expect him really cuz nobody really had heard of him before this. Like he looks the part and he's been good as Superman and man, I cannot yeah. wait for the Elseworlds crossover cuz that is going to be Dope. Like, we, I am so excited about a, that. We might have to do an episode just on that. I think we will. He looks so menacing in that black outfit. He really does. Like, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. I'm super excited about it. And just to think now that we will have a Lex Luthor and a Superman in the CW Arrowverse. Like, that. Yep. that's so damn exciting. I can't even. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Like, it's. You know, you know what's interesting, though? Yeah. I wonder how much the decision to bring Lex into it has to do with the fact that they're not going to be doing any any big screen Superman movies for at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe that's their Cause, plan. Because I think cause the word out was many of the characters like Wonder Woman and Batman for the most part were off limits to the CW shows because they were uh, they're, you know, they're part of the extended universe. Yeah. Now it seems like they're kind of pulling the reins back a little bit on – because it wasn't even just then. It's like their main villains. Like we can't see the Joker every show ever show up in uh, in um, in the 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 the, the Arrowverse yeah. for that reason. Yeah. But you know, I, I think maybe I think that might have something to do with it. Like you know, like we're we're getting more Superman, which you know they they kind of went away from. Like he 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 had a kind of big role last season on Supergirl, but I mean generally he just kind of pops up for a couple episodes, and now they're including him in a crossover. You know they're planning to introduce Lex. I mean, remember we had that we had that rumor earlier this year about them possibly uh, doing a, a a Superman show. If they could pull that you off, know? dude, I I oh yeah. man, like I so, of all like, of all of that, the superheroes, he's like my A one because I have <laughs> like I went to a um I went to this it was this thing in Fredericksburg. It was like this art show that they were doing right, and this guy had a sketch that he had done of Superman. And it's it's hanging in our um, like my wife has like her little collection of toys and stuff that she collects when we go to Disney World. And the centerpiece for that little collection wall that she has is the framed picture of Superman that I got. Like <laughs> Superman has always been my favorite since I was a little kid. And like if they managed to do a decent Superman series, I am I am so in for that. Like I would be yeah. so excited about that. Yeah. I mean, we have, we haven't heard anything else about it. I mean, I may, you know, maybe we will. Yeah. But I'm you know. I, I I'm I'm just curious because I think you know them bringing Lex in. I, I think it probably does have something to do with the fact that they're not going to do any any um, big Superman films. Because why why else would you bring the arch nemesis of Superman yeah. into the Arrowverse when you're not doing that for any of the any of the other characters? Yeah. Whoa, you know you know we're not we're not getting a Joker. You know Harley isn't showing up. Like we're not getting any we're not getting any any of these other major major dc villains but now they're bringing it's like Candyman or beetlejuice or something they say his name often enough on supergirl that they ought to bring this guy in <laughs> very, you watch very the true. show they're always talking <laughs> about Lex yeah Man. yeah i mean so many characters are talking about this guy so um i i think you've brought him up long enough that you know you kind of have to do it so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And, you know, the thing with, the, I mean, at least Luthor, you can bring him on and everybody isn't going to die. I mean, part of the problem, somebody referenced like the Joker. If you brought the Joker on Green Arrow, he would kill half the characters on yeah. that show. <laughs> <laughs> they would need Batman to come and stop him. You know? <laughs> We're not looking for that anytime soon. But, uh, you know, most of these villains are so dangerous, especially... Batman villains. I mean, you don't want to mess with them at all, especially the Joker. No, I, I'm I'm really hoping that yeah. we're gonna see, um, because now Batwoman is gonna be there too, so maybe like they're gonna start. Who knows, man? Like I, I really I I really like what the CW universe is doing. Um, it's been better than anything that they've put on the big screen. So maybe the CW will get a hold of Batman. I just I really really doubt it, and it and it kind of sucks. Uh, well, maybe. They've think, referenced I, them a bunch of times. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that they'll they'll probably like they'll probably keep referencing it, but we I, I don't know if we'll we'll see it uh, anytime soon. I mean, what I mean, they 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 apparently were plans to make a suit also that 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 um, a suit was made 
for this crossover, but I, you know, there's no there's no word as you know if they're going to use it or or anything like that. Um, so I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I can't see Batman showing up. Yeah. And if they if if he does show up, I, I don't think they'll actually like cast him. It'll probably be one of those things where like you hear his voice. Or like they'll reference him, like the Arrowverse has been doing for a couple years now, but you probably won't ever see him. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, let's go to another member, another founding member of the Justice League, who um, has got a big movie coming up here in December. Uh, Steve, what's the news on our, uh, our 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 able to talk to fish friend, uh, King of the Ocean? Not Namor, of course. We're talking DC still. Yeah, we're talking DC. Yeah, Namor uh, yeah. can talk to fish. <laughs> I mean, he can. They just don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> he can't understand <laughs> what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can talk to fish. They just ignore me because <laughs> I've eaten a quite a number of them. Um, so... <laughs> that could be why they're ignoring you. <laughs> yeah, because I'm genocidal in their eyes. Um, so, yeah, the Aquaman is coming out here in a couple weeks, which seems crazy to me because i feel like we just talked about the trailer not too long ago when we we're speculating on all this nonsense but uh yeah so i'm not mike when you wrote this part of the article i was surprised i didn't realize that amazon had been doing this yeah but uh so amazon prime members through that new movie service it's called adam i remember uh anna ferris was hawking it for a little while um and it seems kind of like a fandango right um, but you can get tickets a week early. And I guess they did this with Jumanji. Was that right? Yeah. So in, when Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle came out last December, um, Adam tickets and Amazon Prime members teamed up with Sony so that you could get to see it like a week in, in advance. So, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think Aquaman's a little bit of a bigger ticket than Jumanji. But I mean, it's still like it, it's, it's pretty cool that they're doing this sort of thing. Frankly speaking, I think Aquaman would be fine making the kind of money that Jumanji made. Because that thing ended up being a monster. Did it really? I don't even know. I still haven't yeah. even, oh, even seen yeah, it. Yeah, dude, it made a ton of cash. I'm so out of the loop on some of these things, man. I'll have to, like, I'm just curious, like, how it did at the box office. I'm looking it up right now. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Um, There's something magical about Kevin Hart and The Rock together. This is true. $962 million. Yeah, dude. It yeah. almost made a billion dollars. Hmm. Yeah, so obviously they've already greenlit a, a sequel to that. Of course, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, but so yeah, I think I think generally speaking, now I think back in the day, the lofty goal was to have like a billion dollar, you know, humongous DC universe kind of thing, and I don't know if that's as realistic as it used to be. Um, so yeah, I think nine hundred million they would be pretty happy with but yeah they're letting people if you're an amazon prime member you can go onto this service adam just like atom like the little molecule that you know makes your body up i know molecules are bigger than adam shut up um so <laughs> and you can get you can get a ticket uh up to a week early and there's like thousands of theaters across the country and all kinds of different theater chains that are showing like super advanced screenings of it so that's, I guess, going to be the kind of the new version of a Thursday preview. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you point out the fact that there are thousands of theaters across the country that are doing this because uh, as part of the uh, pre-screenings, um, it, sometimes they have them and it's exclusively press, but most of the time uh, there'll be a portion of the theater that is set aside for press. And then the rest, if you know which website to go to, you can get... Uh, a free ticket to come and see these movies in advance. And um, so this isn't, I mean, they're, they're making it out like a big deal because, oh, if you're on Amazon Prime, you can get to do, you don't have to be on Amazon Prime. You just got to know which freaking website to go to, you know, to, to where you can, you know, print off one of these tickets and then you stand in line and you go in to see the damn movie in a, like a week in advance. Well, look at Yuli dropping knowledge like he's been yeah. there. <laughs> I, what do you guys think so far of of Aquaman? Um, from what you've seen in the previews, it looks amazing. I'm actually I wasn't all that excited for it before, but just you know everything that we've seen, the extended trailers and everything, it looks amazing. I mean, visually, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
and and it, it I feel like it it draws up excitement in you that you you didn't really have when going to see any of the other DC films except maybe Wonder Woman because like the Justice League trailer it was cool but you weren't like you were you were more excited to see it just to see if it was either going to be a shit show or because you just like the idea of seeing all of these heroes get together and fight some great evil right Batman versus Superman yeah like. But th- this one actually looks like DC has gotten its stuff together. Like they, like they've they figured out the formula to put together a good movie about one of its lesser, no- well, known but not really well-known characters. And so I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm. And boy, are they bending over backwards to show how bright and vibrant and light the uh, the like the trailer is. I mean, like, the the background to, like, the final Aquaman title is this bright white and blue, and, you know, all the scenes, even, like, the underwater ones where it's going to be a little bit darker, those seem like they've been lightened up super bright and sunny when they're having that big action scene where him and Mara running on the rooftops could not be distancing themselves from the dark and dreary Snyder version of everything that's been going on. Yeah, they're they're definitely taking like a, a they a one eighty approach on that. They have just gone the exact opposite direction, which honestly yeah. is probably a good thing for them too. So, oh, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, part of the problem with DC is uh, because frankly, those DC movies should be bigger than the Marvel movies, and they should have. Yeah. I, somebody at Warner Brothers ought to be taken out behind the woodshed and beat to within an inch, inch of their lives that they let. Marvel get an Avengers movie out before they got the Justice League out. I was in 1978. I was there, you know, when Superman the movie opened. Saw that, you know, within the first two weeks, and was really excited because thought that Justice League was coming directly. I mean, Wonder Woman was still on with Linda Carter. Uh, Batman with the Adam West had you know, that was a recent memory, and Green Lantern is just some animation effects, but. Warner Brothers, being old Hollywood, they went in the direction that they understood, which was sequels. And so you got Superman 2 and Superman 3 and Superman 4, the quest for peace with John Cryer. And then when they finally got around to doing Batman in 89, it was the same deal. Oh, now we're doing Batman Returns and Batman Forever and Batman and Robin and instead of world building the way that Marvel did, which was a much more innovative kind of approach. But the, the, the DC characters have been around longer. They are more they, they are more well inculcated into the culture. I mean, your dad might have been down with Marvel, but your grandfather was down with DC, Superman and Batman. And there's a reason those characters have been popular for over 80 years. And the, the people who are making the movies now have failed to tap into that in a meaningful way to be able to capitalize on all of that history and institutional knowledge that the general public has about Superman and Batman, who are true, epic, legendary Mytho- mythology, mythological characters, basically, much more so than the Marvel characters. Well, and also too, like I, I think that it's the thing that gets me the most with with all of this too is that like they they just never ever seem to learn their lesson because they've done this before, like you said, Julie, and like ho- hopefully they've just like they've just kind of scrapped the whole thing and they're just like you know what, fuck it, let's let's have a fun. Um, Aquaman movie. Hey, you know what else is going to be fun? Shazam. Shazam's going to be fun. You know, oh, Shazam let's do... is going to be off the chain. Yeah, like if they do, if they finally get the Flash movie like back on track, like you know, like hey, let's just have a fun Flash movie. And instead of trying to make everything so heavy, like just have them be fun. Have them be what they're supposed to be. Um, well, but you know the problem was, and this is the Warner Brothers approach. It's old Hollywood. Oh, uh, Zack Snyder. And, uh, you know, the guy from, um, God, I can't even think of the movie, uh, you know, with um, all the different layers and all that. But the, the guy who was the executive producer. Anyway, though, look. So they made a bunch of money with the... Are you talking um, about Inception and uh, Nolan, Chris yes, Nolan? Yeah. They, thank you, Chris Nolan, okay. yes. And they made a bunch of money with the Batman movie. And so they're like, oh, dark and gritty. That's the answer. We'll do dark and gritty Superman. No, that's not the answer at all. 
Batman happens to be a genuine dark and gritty character. Yeah. That's part of the reason that worked. And honestly, I wasn't even crazy about most of those movies. I thought Batman Begins was the best one of them. Now, if you tell me that's Batman of Earth 27, I'm like, okay, I can embrace it. But that wasn't any version of Batman I recognized. But anyway, though, so um, but you can't use that same cookie cutter approach to all of these characters. You know, you have to look at why the character is popular what the character is, and go with that. Superman isn't dark and gritty at all. Superman is bright colors and blue skies and the sun shining and fluffy clouds, and you know he is the antithesis hope. to Batman. Yeah, he's hope. No, yeah. the only time that he should be dark and gritty like that would be in a situation where it's like an Elseworlds thing, you know, like like they're going to do with the CW. So it's, it's it, yeah, you know, um... I, fundamental lack of understanding absolutely. of who the characters are, lack of recognition for why this stuff is popular. Now, guys, I wanted to close um, the Geek Sheets on a topic that, regardless of, and, and Yuli, there was, there's a reason that we brought you in for this episode specifically, and I'm really glad. Again, thank you so much for joining us tonight, because I want your opinion and I want your take on this, because we did an episode of Fantastic Forum where we talked about this. Um, so I just want you to kind of temper all of this with it. But I think that he deserves the the remainder of this episode, um, which is going to be about about 15 minutes here. Um, and that's Stanley because he did pass away earlier this month. Um, and, and and Steve, go ahead and go ahead and close us out with this one, man. Yeah, and I, I can't I can't imagine anyone listening to this didn't know this isn't news so much as it is something that we need to have a conversation about. And that's the passing of Stan Lee. Uh, at 95 years old, uh, he passed away about two weeks ago as the recording of this podcast. Um, lots of people um, in the industry, lots of people in you know Hollywood, and that part of the MCU, uh, even DC uh, reached out and, and you know paid, paid their respects. Um, I know that going... Have anyone having as long of a history as Stan Lee has? Um, eventually, you have a very diverse history. You have a very interesting history, and you have a very conversation-worthy history. Um, but I think, all in all, the guy did way more good than he did bad. And I, I think that celebrating his life and having a conversation about his life as well, well worthy of any podcast who considers themselves nerdy. Yeah, I'm, I, and that's and that's why. Like, I mean, we we ended up changing the banner for GGR for uh, three days for him because ultimately, and, and I'll let Yuli kind of tackle this for us. Um, there is, I wouldn't say a dark side, but there there's some there's some issues with with the way Stan handled his career. But ultimately, like he, if it wasn't for honestly, I, I mean, we can't say for certain, but I think if it wasn't for his abilities as a marketer and a promoter and a salesman. And just generally getting people excited about these things that they these characters may not be what they are today that we wouldn't see as such excitement for Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Thor. And that's just to name a few of the ones that he created or was involved in the creation of. Let me make sure that I'm clear on that because he did not create these on his own. And that's and that's important, too, because we did talk about this and it's something that I mentioned, too. And in the people that we've worked with in the past with other organizations and things. One of the biggest frustrations that I had was when you do a great deal of work and you really give a lot of yourself for a project and then somebody else takes all the credit for it. That is the worst feeling on the face of the planet. And a lot of the people that worked with Stan Lee felt that way, that he took credit for everything and really didn't have any room left to give any credit to any of these guys who worked so hard on these books. But Yuli, kind of give us a little bit of background on on, on what I'm kind of alluding to with this. Well, uh, of course, uh, Stan Lee has been the face of Marvel Comics for a number of years. I mean, he's chairman emeritus of Marvel um, and by virtue of the fact that he was 95 when he passed away, uh, had been the last person alive who was in some of these rooms and in a position to, I hate to say it, but make up any story he wanted if that's what he wanted to do. And uh, you're right uh, about, uh, well, in pointing out uh, the incredible level of frustration behind being someone who is involved in the 
creation of different characters and not get credit. And regrettably, that is just a part of the comics industry. I mean, you know, and many people may not be familiar with uh, the term work for hire, the fact that uh, comic book artists and writers, uh, actually editors too, I mean, but everybody working in you know, various disciplines, colorists, letterers, uh, you know, what have you, um, this was work for hire. I mean, there weren't any paid vacations, there wasn't any sick leave, there wasn't any health insurance or anything like that. You wrote or drew or lettered or colored a certain number of pages, and there was a per page rate that you were uh, compensated with. And um, this was with all the comic book companies, for that matter. Uh, anything that you created was the intellectual property of the company. You know, so, uh, you know, if you create uh, the X-Men, well, the X-Men actually belongs to national periodical publications, DC Comics, rather than um, – well, excuse me, I, I uh, mixing my metaphors rather than Joe Blow or, you know, what have you, who, who was the actual creator. So uh, that being the case, uh, you have a situation where uh, Stan Lee, who uh, stumbled onto something because as the story goes, uh, Martin Goodman, who is the publisher of Marvel Comics, uh, was playing golf with his uh, counterpart over at DC, came back to the office and said, Stan, I need a team of superheroes. They got this thing over at DC. It's called the Justice League of America, and it's selling like hotcakes. And that was what led uh, Stan and Jack Kirby to develop the Fantastic Four. But um, Stan innovated uh, not only in the fact that he was a master storyteller, but also a showman and a promoter of the First Order, um, you know, he, he was a visionary who saw that these characters could become a lot more. And very, uh, actually it was like late 60s, uh, early 70s, he was out in Hollywood uh, trying to license the various Marvel characters. Uh, but the controversy stems from who was there at the beginning and who helped create these things, especially when modern audiences go to the movies and they see Stan Lee doing these cameos in the movies. And, you know, everybody is, you know, it says Stan Lee presents at the top of every Marvel comic for decades uh, along the way. Um, uh, but they forget that, oh, okay, in co-creating the Fantastic Four and Thor and many of the other characters was Jack Kirby, who was also himself a master storyteller and phenomenal comic artist. Jack King Kirby, they call him, worked for Marvel and DC and a host of others. Uh, right there with Spider-Man, uh, there was Steve Ditko. And Ditko passed away earlier this year with minimal fanfare. You know, compared to the outpouring from around the world that Stan Lee got, you know, now Ditko was something of a recluse uh, and did not seek the fame and fortune and uh, high profile that Stan Lee did. But Ditko was a phenomenal artist, a great storyteller, extremely talented. Uh, I, you know, I dare say in terms of the industry, every bit as talented as Stan Lee was, but just nowhere near as well known. So uh, th there were there were some issues in terms of Stan sort of giving credit where credit was due because there were opportunities that he had to promote his fellows, and he didn't always take those opportunities. You know, rather uh, chose to promote himself and advance himself and his own business dealings and career dealings. Uh, to the detriment, some might say, of others. And uh, there were some hard feelings among people in the industry yeah. because of that. But the one final thing that I'll say in terms of Stan Lee, um, you know, even though, uh, you know, and I, you know me, I'm a little salty about the fact that he got that uh, cameo in Captain America when he had nothing to do with the creation <laughs> of Captain America. I mean, at least he co-created a lot of these other characters. Uh, Captain America was Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. But... Uh, somebody pointed out to me that uh, Stan was instrumental in reviving the character, as he was with reviving Namor, uh, the Submariner, and the original Human Torch. And who knows, these characters might have languished in Golden Age obscurity had Stan not brought them back in the Silver Age of comics 
and promoted them into mainstays of the Marvel Universe. He was also instrumental in uh, the credits in comic books. I mean, time was, you didn't know who was the artist or who was the writer or the letterer or the colorist or anything. He started actually putting credits in the books so you knew who did what. And, uh, you know, so people at least had got their names known. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there were there were a lot of good things that he did. And it's going to be, I guess, sort of left to history to sort all of it out now that he is gone. Uh, but I think that we're all a lot richer uh, for his having been here and for his uh, arguably immeasurable contribution to comics as an industry, as modern mythology. Uh, as the intellectual property that is sort of driving, uh, at very least, the movie industry uh, for right now and making it such an incredibly profitable and fun thing for all of us to go check out. I, I want to, um, Steve, I want to give you a chance and then MC a, a, a chance and then I want to end on uh, something with Stan Lee real quick. But um, just, I mean, what, what does Stan Lee really mean to you, uh, MC? I thought you were going to Steve first. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I zigzagged on you. Sorry. That's all good. You got to keep your head on a swivel, MC. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Stanley, I mean, being a creative, the one thing that any creative hopes for is for the, the, the work that they do to impact the world around them at the very least, you know, yeah. like, I do music, you know, if I feel like that my music has changed someone's life for the better or impacted their life, then I, then I can feel accomplished and successful that the, the stuff that I did was good. And, I mean, it's it's extremely inspiring to, to see that, you know, a guy who, who, you know, helped create these characters and these stories. And, you know, like anyone who's a creative, you know, understands that, when you create stuff, like sometimes you you, know, you you may not think the you may not think much of it. You may just think, oh, it's only this or blah blah blah. But then you know it ends up really impacting folks, and, and you realize that it's actually much more than you imagined. And so for for someone like Stan Lee, to me, it's very inspiring to see that you know someone who who you know was just interested in creating characters and helping in, in helping you know bring these things to life. And he had just such an impact, not not only and, and it's, gen, it's a generational impact, too, because it's you know, it's my parents. It's me. It's going to be people who live on after me. It's it's my students who uh, I've had in my past. It's you know, it's friends of mine. It's people through all walks of life who, whether they consider themselves nerds or not, have been impacted, whether they read comics, whether they saw the saw the movies, uh, whether they have played the the games that that um, that were inspired by these characters, or whether they inspired people to create their own stuff because they saw the kind of work that he did. And so, I mean, it's it's just, it's it's really awesome, you know. I, you know, I'm very grateful to have to have come across uh, Stan and, and the work he did and I'll be forever grateful and appreciative for what he did. Yeah, I I I'm I'm with you, man. Steve, what you got? Yeah, so there's a certain element of Stan Lee that I find that he and I are kindred spirits on. Um, and that's just in the sheer love of a good story. And I think that a lot of the shortcomings, because I have this personal theory, and I've talked to my wife and, and friends about it, and I, I find that in humanity, every single person's greatest strength and their greatest weaknesses come from the same place. So for me personally, I don't let things bother me, but at the same time, I can be apathetic. And it comes from that same core trait of who I am. And it's a great strength that I, I can let things roll off my back easily but then also sometimes a little lazy. And I feel like that same core attribute of just loving to his heart stories was Stanley's greatest strength and his greatest weakness. He wanted to get stories out there. He wanted to be the guy that did it. So that's where you see a lot of this, maybe shuffling some of the other creators to the side, making it you know more about getting the story out there and putting his name on top of it and making himself a star that was the pedal of the stories but also created the empire that Marvel actually became. It was built on stories. It was built on selling and telling every single month 
great, compelling tales. Um, and that just oozed through who he was. And I've, like I said, I find that to be like a kindred spirit like that because, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, I, as long as I can remember, all I wanted was to hear stories. It's why I love movies to this day. It's why I love comic books. Like, I'm astounded when people are like, man, such and such artist, and I love their art over this art. And I'm like, for me, the art tells me what character's doing the parts in the story. Like, I need to know what the tale is and have that payoff and stuff like that. And that's why I always connected with Stanley so much, uh, is because I just saw that same, you know, that same kind of passion and feeling for, for the tales as I did. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree. Um, one of the things that, for me, with Stanley, and I went, this is what I wanted to close on, is the guy, when put in a place of power at Marvel, instead of just, you know, kind of sitting back, you know, and I just I picture it like with his feet up on the desk, leaned back with a cigar in his mouth, just laughing as he rolls in piles of cash. <laughs> instead of that being who he was, he used his power for good. And, it, and it's a it's a message that he preached with spy, with great power comes great responsibility. And he used that responsibility. And I'm going to read something that he wrote that I think is one. It, it was in a time when he didn't have to write this. This was not something that where people were clamoring for this. He did this because he thought it was the right thing to do. And it stands soapbox. Let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But, unlike a team of costumed supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils that they are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never even seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire region. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later... If man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls us all his children. Pax et justita, Stan. Like, I can't think of a better way to end this. Like, to use your power and to use your words and to use your place as the figurehead of Marvel to say, this crap ain't cool. And you're not going to see it just glossed over here. It's not going to fly here. This is something that we stand by. And and that's, he very easily could have just been like, hey, keep buying our comics, you know, hope you like ray guns and keep counting his cash. And he <laughs> didn't. And, and whether he didn't give people the credit that they were due or not, the man had a good heart and he was trying to do the right thing. I agree with Steve. I think he was more focused on the story. Could he have done better to push these other artists forward and these other people that were crucial in the creation of this? Yes, absolutely. But I don't think his heart was in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Hey, one thing I'd just like to add to that, yeah. because uh, Stan, I think part of what you need to do looking at that is uh, look at the time that Stan Lee came up. He served in the military during a time of war, you know, World War II. Um, and so what he saw, and you know, you know yourself uh, being a, a military veteran, yeah. um, the fact that you serve, when you serve, and what you see has a lot to do with your perspective. Now, he was in the Signal Corps, but uh, being part of that generation that rose up to challenge the specter of fascism uh, across the globe, that's significant, and that, that colored his point of view. Also, the fact that uh, a lot of the people that he worked with were of Jewish descent, um, you know, he was going to have a certain sensitivity to issues like that. And, um, you know, so I, 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 I mean, I absolutely give him credit, um, you know, but part of the reason that he was wired like that was because of when he came up, uh, the circumstances under which he came up and, uh, you know, he was being true to what he saw. And I firmly believe that he was dead on with all of that. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm with you. It's. You, you become a product of the world that you're in and you end up either making a decision to turn a blind eye, you know, and, and when we were talking about this earlier, you know, you can either just ignore it and, and not be part of the solution and 
that's not good enough. And that, that I think ultimately is, is his legacy. Um, on that note, guys, um, the reason why we're kind of having a pause here for a second, because we got one more topic here. Um, it came up last <laughs> second, but I'm giving Ulysses Campbell the chance to bail because he has not watched season three of Daredevil. So, Yuli, <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to give you a chance to, to plug your stuff, man. Tell us where we can find all of the awesome work that you do. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mike. Um, I am uh, on a morning show uh, out of Arlington, Virginia. It's called Arlington in the Morning, uh, Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 on WERA 96.7 FM. You can also stream it uh, via the website at WERA.FM. I also do a, a television show and a radio show called Fantastic Forum. And uh, chances are uh, they air somewhere in an area near you. You can visit the website at fantasticforum.tv uh, to find uh, the um, locations where the show is on television. But we also have a number of episodes that are archived. And you can tune in to the radio version of that also on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Saturday afternoons at 4 from 4 to 5. And that show re-airs on Wednesday afternoons from 3 to 4. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, MC, Steve, Mike, uh, I have well, I always enjoy being on the show with you guys. Uh, I learn a lot uh, from listening to you all. It's a very entertaining sort of thing. And I'm grateful just to be asked back to participate. Thank you. Of course, buddy. You're always welcome to be on our show. Thank you for listening to the Geek Sheets on GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for more of our podcasts and all of our great articles. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy!